And good evening, everyone. You're listening to Sounds Welcome here on Studio U. And my name is Kaylin Deese. And do I have a guest for you all tonight? It is my very best friend, Eric James, in the house. What's up? If you listened here last week, then you uh, heard him here on the podcast that we had with Matt Morf. Might talk about space again. Yeah, we might talk about space again. In fact, I think it's a definite guarantee that we'll talk about space again. Uh, but yeah, I'm so happy to, uh, to be here again tonight. Uh, we have a great show ahead for y'all. We're going to be talking about our review of Joker. So if you haven't seen that movie and you really want to, there will be many spoilers in this podcast. So uh, don't don't stick around if you <laughs> don't want to hear that. And then uh, we're going to be talking about... But if you're a sadist and you like spoilers. Absolutely, yeah. Then just, you know, kill, kill the whole vibe for yourself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no. Some people like spoilers. No, no checks in here. Uh, but yeah, and then we're going to be talking about uh, Danny Brown and his latest album, You Know What I'm Saying? Yes. It's a you good do. album. You do. You know what I'm saying? You do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, lastly, uh, yeah, we are talking about Aliens. We're talking about um, the podcast that was featured here recently on uh, the Joe Rogan Experience that I know all of you know and love. And I believe you that You ever heard of it? It's, yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel like we should uh, elaborate a little bit, but, I mean, it's, like, the number one podcast in America, right? Yeah, it's kind of like the new uh, Howard Stern show or, like, maybe, like, Carson, maybe? Yeah. Similar. Yeah, not definitely not Mari, because he's still on, right? Yeah, I think so. And also completely different, but <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like everyone, everything comes back to Mari in the end, you know? Well, Rogan's show is interesting just because there's not a studio audience to where like they can literally just have a conversation yeah between two people yeah and this conversation that we're talking about in particular is with uh, commander david fravor i believe uh yeah and he's a retired u.s navy pilot and he kind of gives some details that i know all of you um if you're in tune with the news i mean this was like a very like um sensationalized story 2015 or so yeah i mean like it was new york times i think i think that's when new york times first published it but just in like the last few months i mean especially with like all this area 51 hype and everything i think it kind of came back up through the pipelines yeah yeah but i think that now after we've kind of cleared the air after like it was sort of like a less wrote about subject now we actually have some insight from uh, a commander that was actually there yeah well it's like we know what he saw was solid but we don't know what he saw. Yeah, you know? yeah. We like, can't explain it. We can see what he saw. You can we'll, maybe you could offer an explanation. Some people say aliens, but like, yeah, <laughs> who knows? His radar picked it up, so it's like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna be providing all of our hot takes and uh, insights on all those subjects here in the next hour. Or so so stay tuned. We have a great playlist ahead for y'all. Next is uh, Panda Bear uh, with Tropic of Cancer. And actually, a fun fact: I saw Panda Bear last night with Animal Collective. It was a really cool show. Uh, it's my second time seeing them. But that's a side note. So we're going back with the music, and uh, we'll be back in about six minutes or so with uh, some Deets on Joker. So stay tuned. You're listening to Sounds Welcome here on Studio U. And we're live here in Studio U, uh, here on the Sounds Welcome podcast. Uh, we're here talking about the Joker. Yeah, good Actually, movie. no. I'm sorry. It's just Joker. Joker. Yeah. It's, uh, there, there's no the. Um, I actually, I, it's kind of like, I, I don't, I don't get upset, but it's just like, I don't, I don't like when people mistitle things, you know? Yeah. So what do you think? We saw it Saturday night. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I really like Arthur Fleck as a origin story for the Joker. It kind of justifies a lot of the like hatred he holds for Gotham, but also just his life in general. Mm hmm. We talk about the name Arthur Fleck for a second, like. Just the creation of that name. It's kind of a, kind of just like I don't know. Like, I don't I don't like that name. Fle- yeah, it's I, th- I think it's a good name for someone that's an outcast to have, sort of. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, I know that for a lot of uh, really heady comic book fans, that that was kind of a no brainer um, for that title. But I mean, I don't really know much about the Joker story aside from what we've seen, and aside from what I've seen from mainstream mainline Batman. Uh, content. So I, I really felt like if you if you separate all of this story from um, what is, you know, the main canon of Batman, if you single this out and it's just like, hey, if you really want to like get to know the Joker as a character, um, if you tell me that this is like the best way to kind of like know his backstory, 
It's a it's a really good movie. I, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I think most people say that there's like multiple Jokers, and right. they all just kind of rise out of the chaos of Gotham. But I think Arthur Fleck is definitely like a feasible um, origin for mm-hmm. uh, Joker. And how how did it differ from Jared Leto, and how did it differ from Heath Ledger? I mean, I I I know more so with Heath Ledger. Um, it's been a while since I've seen The Dark Knight, but I, I, I haven't seen Suicide Squad, so... Yeah, neither have I. Um, I don't know. I just, I just know that, like, from the imagery, Jared Leto is much, very much more like a um, mob boss, sort of, like, gangster kind of... Yeah. Um, well, I think both Heath Ledger and Jared Leto are both playing a Joker that's been well-established in Gotham and has power, whereas... Uh, Arthur Fleck is Joker before he got power, so like before he became the Joker. Um, and I think it does a reasonable job of giving a possible um, uh, a possible evolution of like how the Joker comes to be. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think it's possible to ever see a Batman movie in this universe? I would like to, but I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think it will either. I think DC is making a lot of different kinds of movies right now, and they don't really have a direction. Yeah. With like continual stories, like Marvel has done, but um, that might end up being a good strategy because I was perfectly content to see this movie without it being part of a major franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I am kind of on the same line of thinking. I know that in the future there's talks or rumors, I should say, right now of more of like a Deathstroke. Uh, or I, I, I should say this style of origin story about Deathstroke. Are you saying like in this version of Gotham? Yeah, or yeah, it, it, it could be even or just a similar independent a, movie. A different approach, yeah, similar independent movie. Okay, yeah, I could get behind that because this one was pretty good in my opinion. Yeah, I just I very gritty. I the the entire time, and maybe this is like a continuity thing that I shouldn't like wrap myself up in but I kept thinking about how, how old Arthur Fleck would be by the time Batman is of age to like be Batman yeah I think the distance between them age wise was a little too much yeah for the for those that haven't seen it they're they might have... the spoilers I mean you know Bruce Wayne's just a kid in this um, I think they could have made Arthur look younger or made Bruce a little older either way um, but I do like again spoiler warning I do like the fact that Arthur delusionally, or has this delusion that he is the son of Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne's father. And I find that super interesting, not because I think, like, the Joker has to be some, like, um, false son of Thomas Wayne or whatever. I like it because he would seek, um, like, guidance or maybe even monetary help from Thomas Wayne uh, and he would always be jealous of Bruce before he even necessarily becomes the Joker. He would be jealous of Bruce Wayne. Um, Bruce Wayne's one of the more privileged members of the Gotham society. Um, he would probably find out that Bruce is Batman early on just because of that jealousy. And that would immediately like ignite an even deeper hatred for both Batman, Gotham, and the Waynes in general. Yeah. Or it might not even, like... It might be an even more anticlimactic sort of event because it seems like he could put together the pieces of everything that happened in this movie with him confronting Bruce at the gates and running into Thomas Wayne and every, all, all, all of those aspects. It just seems like it would not be a very... Like, it would definitely be putting Batman... Like, uh, Batman's obviously at a disadvantage in his original origin story, but I think it'd be putting him in an even deeper crevice. The Joker? Yeah, yeah, this. The thing is, I don't think... By the end of the movie, I think he is no longer, like, Ar- Arthur Fleck. Right, yeah. So the streets have accepted him as their, like, cult leader. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't think he could ever go back to his life as Arthur Fleck because of that hole you were talking about. I think he's almost doomed to a life on the streets because if not, he would just immediately get arrested, sort of. Yeah. So it's almost like he revealed his identity in this movie, 
which you're kind of saying is something you don't like as much. No, I mean, not something that I don't like, but it's just something that makes it pretty impossible for me to see them taking this uh, story arc any forward. Yeah. Any see, I forward. think it could very easily, but he could never go back to Arthur. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, he gave his identity away, but that's no longer his identity. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Right, yeah. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I don't think this was even really... Like, you could have... You could have taken all of the Wayne aspects out of this movie as as much as they were, were like, fairly subtle, you know, for, you know, a movie in the DC universe. I feel like you could take that out completely and still kind of have the same um, emotions and tone and theme. I think I agree. I don't think the confrontation with Bruce Wayne himself was necessary. I don't think that scene adds much to the story. It really doesn't. Um, it's just kind of like cool. It's like, haha, it's Batman and Joker. Other than the fact it kind of reinforces that Bruce jealousy because he thinks he's the son of Thomas, you know? Right. Uh, but yeah, I I think it might be impossible to have a movie set in Gotham without seeing the Waynes just because of like Wayne Tower, how influential they are. They're like billionaires. They're involved in a lot, constantly donating. Like... I do agree, and I think they shouldn't have maybe been as big of characters as they were, but I think it might be impossible to tell a story in Gotham without involving the Waynes mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah, I also... So moving on, Here, here's like an, a setting critique that I had for it. Is it just... It, aside from, you know, the lack of, like, cell phones and modern technology and this and that about the setting, it didn't... It wasn't as 80s as I wanted it to be. I don't know if that's a fair critique. I mean, I didn't find the Batman Begins trilogy to be very 80s. What do you mean by that? Well, Batman Batman Begins is set in, like, just, like, kind of, like, quote-unquote modern day. Yeah. Was this one set in the 80s? This one was supposed to be set in the 80s, I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, had, I didn't know. It just seemed very... You could have told me it was, like, 2005, maybe. Yeah, I want to verify it, but I'm pretty sure it was because I don't think uh, there was any like use of like modern technology, like cell phones and everything. Um, but yeah, we're gonna confirm it real quick just so that we're on the same page. But yeah, kind of going on, like, what did you think about what the the message was? I just don't yeah, really okay. think this movie has much of a message. I know a lot of people are trying to make that okay, case. On on that point, it, it's set in 1981. So cool. Just well, for... that didn't seem that didn't jump out to me in watching the movie it didn't for me either aside from like the talk show host you know yeah I guess that makes sense yeah that that felt very of its time um along with maybe like you know the the streets in the beginning when he was advertising and that that part kind of felt a little bit 80s I don't know but in, in in the end like I was kind of like hoping even for more like cultural references but yeah. Maybe I'm just being a little bit too nitpicky about it, but I really want to know what the general consensus was uh, for this theme. I haven't really looked up any um, theories or anything just because I kind of I kind of like having my own idea about it. And I think eventually, um, whenever more people have seen it, I'll maybe even have a different look on this movie because it's only been, what, like four days since it's come out? Five days? Mm-hmm. So I didn't really find a message... I've only seen the movie once, but it just seems to me that um, it's just kind of chaotic, his, like, rise. It's almost like he didn't really even plan it. It just happened around him, and it was was almost inevitable. He was just a catalyst. Yeah. Um, For a much larger demand of the inner city of Gotham. Yeah, it's almost like his persona became much larger than him very quickly. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of rode that to its conclusion. Do you think... Whenever I saw the riots in the streets, I my being just, like, in, in involved in, like, looking at political articles and events, it, I, I immediately thought of Venezuela, honestly. Yeah, I could see that. It's very... But anarchist. It, yeah, but like the next day everything was fine because, you know, like I don't know, they didn't really show the aftermath they just kind of showed him in the hospital the next day or in the in the in Arkham the next day. Yeah. 
So I don't know. I kind of, I it just kind of implies that things are back to normal. Like he kind of had his night of terror and anarchy. Yeah. See, I thought they were going to make the case that, like, the society formed Joker, which is, I guess, technically true, but. It seems to me that they made the case that it was really just like his what? own experience, like his brain damage from his abusive father, his lying schizophrenic mother that twisted his thoughts and basically like toyed with his fate, told him things that she should have never been saying, like stuff like that. That's what kind of created him and all these lies and... Um, bad situations he's been placed in but um they really didn't make the case that it was like the streets that made him right yeah no it was definitely the product of his home life and i i i I wanted to ask real quick because i never got a chance to even ask you but what what was was that just an artistic little flare at the end with the blood on his feet or like what was that even about when he was walking away from the camera during the final shot I think that's showing he has completely became the Joker. Okay. It's like once he exits that shot, it's like he is the Joker that we've all come to know and love. Like he can kill people with his bare hands. He can uh, manipulate people with his words. He can create grandmaster plans to create basically like armies of foot soldiers and henchmen. Like... I see he's, like, more capable than most of the people that he's around. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it just shows that Arkham is not as safe as it is, like, its appearance is. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that... Um, what was the... Like, one of the broadcasts... I thought this was kind of interesting because the closest kind of thing that they had to a... Um, what's the word like a oh gosh illusion no illusion uh, illusion is what I'm talking about but I'm talking about like kind of like the um, the mutated rats or like something they're talking about on like the news broadcast Towards oh the yeah like of the, the super film. rats yeah like yeah like the yeah like the super rats like that, that, felt very that was like the comic most comic book that was like the most supernatural thing that was yeah that I actually really liked that part yeah because it um it really like at first it's like oh this could be this could be Albuquerque mm-hmm. this could be anywhere um but then like when you see like super rats have invaded Gotham it very much sets the tone mm-hmm. and I don't know re- yeah makes Gotham feel the way it should other than that there's nothing really supernatural about this at all no like that might actually be the only supernatural reference I'd have to go back and watch it again to confirm that but needless to say it's very scant. It's very just, like, almost, like, Dark Knight levels of, like, realism. He's but not it, a very conniving or cunning Joker. No, he's not. He's very, like, clumsy and kind of cringy. Like. Well, I mean, he has no plan, it seems like. It seems like the his supporters or, like, the, the mob of his henchmen or whatever, they kind of, um, like, seized power independent of his influence. And it seems like he may end up becoming that cunning and, uh, like, what well, do you say? A bit, a bit more skilled in his... Uh, yeah, it's like that's the Joker trade. we know. Mm-hmm. I think him walking out at the end was, like, showing that he has achieved that, like, level of ability. Mm-hmm. But... I think I could have used a little bit more of that, like, Grandmaster plan, um, cunning uh, decision-making that the Joker's known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of just, like, transforming into the Joker, this movie. The only thing that was remotely well-planned was all happenstance, because I think the moment that he got the call to be on the show was the moment that lights actually started clicking in his head for something that he could do to make this thing all kind of go out in a bang, which it did, literally, by shooting Rob De Niro twice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think that at that moment was kind of the point, and that was like a little bit after he had found out that 
his um, like his girlfriend that he met down the hall was just like a delusion and stuff like that. So, I yeah, and that was also whenever he had gone off his meds. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of. Um, I don't necessarily know if the Joker like needs medication in like the comics or whatever, but I don't think it necessarily like takes away from the story that they told that he previously needed medication or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well. That's another thing that I think why this time period was selected, uh, more so as like a tone of what people, how people viewed mental illness at this point, and kind of like that guy like asking him about his laugh card or that card that he handed out to people to inform them of his um, laugh that he couldn't control. Like there's that officer, that undercover guy that was about to question him, and he's like, "Hey, you know, is that is that laugh thing? Is that is that real? Or is that if it was fake, that would be." pretty cool because yeah. then it would be like he was like, he, he was like, he was like what do you think and then he ran and then he runs into the glass window that'd be like so deceptive yeah that would be really cool to see but they didn't really go with that route they didn't know it seems like he legit had the disability yeah yeah i don't know i mean i you i think you i remember you telling me it was like a seven out of ten for you yeah i'd give it a solid seven yeah i i felt like it was more of an eight just because there's a lot of exciting moments in that movie that had me like, you know, just guttural reaction, like grinning and like cringing and like it it evoked a lot of emotions out of me. It's that, a very emotional movie. Yeah, like just if you're like if if you're like my mom and you just don't like dark things, like don't don't go out and see this. I wouldn't say it's anything that you're gonna like miss out on, like I don't know, like interstellar level kind of thing like i mean like i i would say this is definitely like an interstellar type hype movie but it's not a movie that everyone has to go out and see yeah no not it's like only means. something you see if you're like interested in it neither is interstellar or it piques but, your curiosity but interstellar is definitely like more of like a family like or like a group film that you yeah can, but i don't know yeah i think uh diehard comic book fans even light-hearted comic book fans will get something out of this fans of the dark knight will probably appreciate it so, are there any other final thoughts that you have for it? Uh, no. I mean, yeah, I give it a 7, maybe a 7.5. But, I mean, I still give The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger. That's, like, a 9.5. Oh, yeah, we stand. We hardcore That's, stand. like, a really good movie. And, like, granted, like, this was the transformation of Arthur Fleck into Joker. But I think I just enjoy movies where the Joker has already become Joker. Mm-hmm. You know? And you get to see his conniving ways play out on screen it's way more fun that way uh but this was a quality origin story yeah if i can dare make this comparison like the birth of the joker is kind of like real childbirth I mean, it's just kind of one of those things i'd ris- I'd, ra- I'd rather not see it <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather just like you know like see the kid all grown up <laughs> yeah um but yeah on that final thought uh during our next talking session we're we'll talking about Detroit rapper Danny Brown and his latest album that came out. I think it is fantastic. I love all of his previous work, Atrocity Exhibition, Triple X, um, and it's it's just a wonderful album. So we're going to be talking about some of the things that we enjoyed about it. So uh, we'll be back here on Studio U. You're listening to Sounds Welcome. I want to go to Danny's house. Back here, uh, and we're actually uh, getting some questions in. Uh, so I think it's time to answer a few of those. Uh, so this one, this one's for you, Eric. Um, let's let's see. Um, is Joker the vibe? Um, uh, <laughs> probably not. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say that's a no. I assume they're using vibe as in like is Joker the wave, or similar a similar style question. Yeah, I would say strongly no, but is it a good movie? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, second question: favorite track off the new Danny Brown? Well, that's that's conveniently what we're talking about here, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'll let you answer that one first. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with a self-titled track. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You've have have you gotten to that one yet in the album? Uh, I'm pretty sure. I've only listened to, like, the front half of it. Um, I think it's towards the back half. Is it? Yeah. Then, no, I haven't. Yeah, I like that song a lot just because 
There's a lot of aspects to it. Um, I think it's probably more so just because, like, he says the same line, you know what I'm saying, on, like, the Tay of the third beat uh, in each uh, bar. Oh, you did show me the song. Yeah, no, I've heard it. Um, yeah, it's very technical. Yeah. And very, like, hard to do, but he also pulls it off perfectly. So it's very impressive. Yeah, and... This last question, uh, we're gonna we're gonna collaborate on this because I don't know if I can even put together a full 2019. Uh, the, the The question is top three albums of 2019. Well, you know, I'm 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 just not there yet. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if I'm ready to say that, but I can tell you some albums that I think that could be contenders. Probably Post Malone. Probably post, <laughs> probably post. You know, like you can't go. I, I really like that album. You know, I'm not gonna say it's anywhere near, uh, like the top, probably even 50 for me. But there's a lot of albums that came out this year. I thought it was a good album. I jammed out to it. Um, we're looking for top albums of 2019. I know that Igor, Igor's a top one for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, might not make my personal top three, but uh, yeah, it's not. It's not my personal top three. Um, did Astro World come out this year? Oh, you know what? Okay, so I'm looking. I at, don't think it would make my top three, but no, Astro World came be out 2019. Astro World came out last year. Really? Yeah, it did. Um, the comment is coming. I really the so basically, uh, the album's called uh, "Trust in the Life Force of the Deep Mystery." I really love this album because it was kind of like a sci-fi, space jazz epic. Um, Sounds lit. Yeah, dude, I think you'd really like it. It really, it's, so the main carrying of it is all, like, on, like, the the berry saxophone and the bassoon. So th- there's just a lot of, like, bassy, like, mm-hmm. you know. Deep frequencies. Deep frequencies, yeah, for sure. Oh, Infest the Rat's Nest. That's Did you like King, that album? King Gizzard. Did you listen to it? I think I've heard, my roommate really likes them, so, like, I think I've heard it, but I didn't, I don't know any of the tracks or anything. I, lo- I like that album a lot, because, um... It's kind of like a it's 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 like a two part album sort of for this year because uh, King Giz came out with uh, Fishing for Fishies back in April I want to say somewhere around that time and that was a very environment environmentally conscious album and then Infest the Rat's Nest is just like okay like you know like if none of y'all care about this earth then like we're just gonna like call y'all a bunch of rats and like that's really what you're doing it's like infesting this place so it's kind of like a hardcore like take on. Oh, that little Sims album! Oh my gosh, yes. Have you? Ha, are you? Are you I a fan of that? I have not heard it. Okay, Little Sims is fantastic, grime. Um, yeah, I don't know. We're kind of just listing off albums that came out this year, but I'd say yeah. For me, it's like Wise Blood, uh, Titanic Rising. Um, there's a lot of like uh, EPs that have come out that I like. But uh, like the Aries, oh, no, full length albums. Full length. Yeah, I don't know. I can't really think of too many that have come out this year. Yeah, I think we need to wait a little longer. Let twenty nineteen come to a close before we can give a definitive answer. I yeah, I usually wait until like around mid November to make my decision. And uh, like I know that today, um, actually, this kind of coincides before we get into Danny Brown. There was a top, a Pitchfork top two hundred albums of the decade. 200 album or choosing 200 albums of all the albums that came out in this decade. I think uh, articles like that are like overpowered because you're inherently going to like make so many people uh, upset, but then at the same time make so many people happy because their lesser known album is getting some acclaim. Mm -hmm. So it's like it just gets everyone talking. Yeah, and I only say Pitchfork just because it's kind of been my my reference point for a long time. I know that a lot of people choose Rolling Stone or Noisy or anything else under the stars. Um, And you gotta pick something. Yeah, you gotta gotta pick something. Uh, Pitchfork is a tastemaker for me. It has been since I was like 15 or 16. And more importantly, I just, I kind of like how this, this list is very uh, like it has continuity with all of their other lists that they've come out with in the past. So they almost they're establishing like um, a general consensus, sort of like of what yeah. they think. I know that almost so, like an editor's pick, like yeah. sort of ethos. 
so some some facts about this is that Kanye uh, makes up two percent of this list. Two percent. He makes up two percent of this list. Yeah, because uh, Daytona, um, and then My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Jesus, and Watch the Throne are all on this list. I wouldn't disagree. I believe. Uh, I want to say that. I mean, he's one of the most influential. He might be the most influential living hip hop artist. Yeah. And like whether or not you think he's crazy, which he might be, but um, I would also say he's like a genius when it comes to uh, percussion and uh, talk about deep frequencies. Kanye's a master of it, and um, he might be crazy, but I mean, what genius hasn't been crazy, sort of thing? Yeah. My phone is kind of spazzing out here. If it could just kind of slow down for a second so we could get this list uh, to tell you all. I know that Drake's Take Care was number 13. Um, I agree with that one. That's his best album. Yeah. Uh, Rihanna, Anti. I've heard that Anti has grown on a lot of people. I I, like Anti. I only listened to Anti once. It's really good. I'm also, I like Rihanna more than I like Beyonce. So, like, Mm -hmm. that's, I already just made a lot of people mad. How do you feel about but this? But it's, it's Queen Re. How do you feel about this Grimes Art Angels showing up at number 11? I don't know. I'm not big on Grimes, but I also, like, my music taste, my net isn't cast very far. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much only knowledgeable in hip-hop, so I Rob- can't really touch on Grimes. Robin and Charlie XCX also show up on this list quite a bit. I think they. I think Charlie XCX might have two albums on there. I know, I know she has, like, four four songs on like the top songs of the decade. See Frank Ocean and that's deservedly so. Yeah, they they put Channel Orange at number 10. And then they go on to put D'Angelo and the Vanguard Black Messiah at number 9, which I agree with because I love D'Angelo. There's that Robin coming in at number 8 with Body Talk. Vampire Weekend, Modern Vampires of the City at number 7. We're just going off the list. That is an iconic album cover. Oh, it's so iconic, dude. And you're... Have you listened to this album all the way? Are you a fan? Yeah. You like it? I I mean, I've always liked Vampire Weekend. It's just, like I said, like, I pretty much listen to hip-hop primarily. So, like, I do have... I, I, like, I do like a lot of different kinds of music. I only pretty much know about one type of music. Mm -hmm. So, uh... I wholeheartedly disagree with Solange. I see that the table being coming in at number six... I like Solange. All that tells I me really is that, do. like, Jay-Z albums are going to, like, be at the top or something, maybe. Yeah, I mean... They might not, but, like, they're not. Solange is at six. I think Jay-Z has to be above. They're not, but Solange gets... Solange is great. I love Solange. I don't want to diss Solange in any way, but out of all the albums, I see the table coming in at number six. Didn't I... she tour with a lot of the indie artists? Or doesn't she currently... Yeah. She's kind of in that indie, what would you say, like, uh, it seems like there's, like, pop, and then there's indie, and they kind of, like, have separate tours, mm-hmm. or, like, festivals even sometimes. And it seems like Solange kind of jumped onto the indie train, and it seems to have helped her a lot. So uh, Solange mm-hmm. is essentially the indie Beyonce, I mean. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and, like, I think because of that, that's where you get a lot of the people either promoting Solange to like over promoting her or saying like she's like overhyped but then she might be underhyped for other people mm-hmm. i don't know solange is an interesting case for me here here's another one that i i, I haven't heard but it, it comes in at number five and it's fiona apple <clears throat> here's the title the idler wheel is wiser than the driver of the screw and whipping cords will serve you more than ropes will ever do interesting title it sounds interesting, yeah. I mean, never heard of it. I've I've heard of Fiona Apple. Um, a friend of mine is a big fan of them. I've just I I should have listened to them more. Okay, this makes sense. All right, so we come down to number four, to Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar. So are you telling me that number three is going to be Good Kid, Mad City? Is that what's going to happen? Ah, I lied. Well, without, I think without saying Good anything. Kid, Bad City is uh, 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 almost for, perfect. For for the context, number three was actually Beyonce, Beyonce, which I'm not surprised. Yeah, coming in at number four. Or I'm two. Sorry, I'm two. Yeah, what am I, what am I saying? <laughs> number two, Kanye West, My Beautiful Dark, Twisted Fantasy. 
I need to give it another listen because I like so many other Kanye projects more than that one. But, like I said, Kanye has changed the sound of music so much that it's probably one of those periods where he was more transformative to where, like, he was using different samples and changing the way music sounds to where I might not like the album, but a lot of people do because of what it did to the sound. Right. So coming in at number one, I, I, I like seeing this right here underneath the album. Do you see this, like, self-released? Yeah. That's, I, like, good for, like, artists. Yeah. We we talked about uh, the Frank Ocean self-release story uh, last time on the cast with Matt, but um, that's just really, really cool. What was his album that came out right before Blonde? It was, like, Endless. It was Endless, yeah. That's the one that he did. Endless? Yeah, that's the one that he did for the label he was on before, which... Um, which is one of the more genius things I've seen in the music industry. Oh, is the ultimate bait and switch. Oh, yeah. I wonder if... That anyone... man's a genius, not only in music production and lyrics and so many other facets, but he also, like, plays the music industry mm-hmm. like a puppet sometimes. He does, and I really... I, I can't say, as someone that is a fan of the industry, um, I'm not entirely certain how it all works, but I, I just wonder, like, if he was giving his label um, some samples and clips from Blonde or if he was giving them clips from Endless. Like, was his... I lab- think he had to have been giving them from Endless. Yeah, but, like, was his label, like, confused? Because I, I know that, like, I love Endless, actually, even maybe in a, a little bit more than Blonde, but it, it doesn't have that pop factor there that Frank usually exhibits. And so I just wondered... I wonder if they were ever curious and they were just like, is, is this... What, what you're putting out? Like, you know, like, like, is this what you're really saying? So, uh, like, for the listeners that maybe are a little confused, mm-hmm. Frank, what he did before releasing Blonde, which Blonde was, like, one of the more hyped albums I've ever experienced. Um, following Channel Orange was a challenge and a half for Frank, I feel like. But uh, he spent, like, five years working on it, right? Yeah. Well, uh, he was under contract with his label to give them an album. So... Uh, he gave them an album, and that was Endless, and it was a good-sounding project, like, perfectly on par with what he's done in the past. But then he followed it, like, a couple days later with Blonde, which was self-released. So he owns a Masters. He's going to get, like, pretty much all the money from it. Uh, it's not going to be on that label, right? Mm-hmm, right. Uh, and it w- went on to be, like, what um, Pitchfork's now saying, the best album of the decade. Um, it's just so genius, because he literally got paid a ton of money for the project he was on contract to make, spent all of the time working on both projects, and then was able to ride the hype train better than anyone I've ever seen. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. It was it was really cool. And he's very much deserving of that number one spot because I've listened to Blonde countless times, and it wasn't possible for him to be Grammy-nominated. I think... I don't know if it was because he was independent or if it was because that he the album came out too late for it to be nominated. I I believe it's one of those two outcomes. But either way, it wasn't. If independent artists can't get a Grammy, I wouldn't want a Grammy. I think I think I think it's not that one because Chance got it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Chance won. Yeah, okay, then. Yeah, sorry, I was I wasn't thinking. Yeah, so I think I think he just submitted or he 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 missed the deadline to submit the album for Grammys. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we don't want to get too carried away here with the Danny Brown review because we have another whole section to delve into. But I just want to—I just want to know your thoughts about this album. Uh, do you like it more than his past releases? Do you think it's like on? Par? I like it more than his last or than his previous work. Um, Besides, like really, though, like I like Danny tracks. Brown as a personality and like a character. I mm-hmm. think he has a huge future in like voice acting and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he should just be on Cartoon Network already. He should if be. He's not. He should be. Um, he probably already has been. But, um, yeah, this is, like, the first time I've seen the production match his, uh, like, vocality, or is vocality a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has a very unique voice, if you're not familiar, um, and delivery. And this is, like, the first time I feel like the whole, like, his music as a whole has just all been, like, in firing in unison and like finally coming together as a whole uh project i don't know what am i trying to say yeah no, it just I could... seems to have a 
a care placed on. I don't know. I don't know how to describe well, it. Well, I, I I always described uh, it just Danny, all seems to match. Yeah, I always described Danny before um, before Vince Staples uh, and his Big Fish Theory. I always described Danny as kind of the EDM rapper. Because a lot of his... Because he can rap over anything. Yeah, because, like, a lot of his early beats... I mean, like, he was working with Purity Ring in the beginning. Like, he was doing some crazy stuff. And then, um... I'm not I'm not going to talk about his old album, the album titled Old, because I wasn't... I didn't. I just didn't like that one very much. I don't, I don't know, like, where he was at creatively, but... Uh, Atrocity, Atrocity Exhibition, his uh, Joy Division titled, referential, whatever you want to call it, album, was great. Uh, I know it wasn't, it was definitely a lot more like mid-tempo and then, because Downward Spiral was a very interesting opening track. Really Doe really hit it off though as a great single, almost like a cypher with Kendrick and Earl and uh, was it Matt, not Mad Lib, um, Absol? I think, it was Ab- I think it was Absol on that. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, oh my gosh, just like everything like Gold Lust, Pneumonia, uh, ain't it funny? Oh, I love Ain't It Funny. But yeah, going back to what this album we're talking about, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd say my top three tracks are Dirty Laundry, um, you know what I'm saying? And uh, probably uh, the spiritual song with JPEG Mafia. I haven't heard that one yet. It's It's Peggy's most interesting and powerful feature because he's kind of like... <gasps> He's like kind of like rapping through his throat, like he's like, like I can't even describe like a like speaking while breathing in. Yeah, like st- speaking while breathing in, like it's crazy. That's like really hard to do. Yeah, we should listen to it later. It's pretty yeah. dope. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm excited for you to hear the rest of it. Yeah, it's uh, it, would you say it's disco influenced? What is that? Um, there's definitely a th- like a theme to the sound. I don't know, like kind of disco-y, kind of very, very psychedelic too. Definitely hip hop, and also very uh, old school, very kind of twenties style. Oh like. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you say old school, that we're not saying like nineties hip hop style. No, like old school. I'm talking like yeah. Uh, I'm, not, I'm talking about like, like crooner. Yeah, like big band. Um, yeah, big band. Like you know, like Muddy Waters. Almost, almost like, like a speakeasy. Yeah, speakeasy. Like, style, speakeasy yeah. horns and drums. Almost like Cantina Star Wars feel. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Very bouncy and uh, upbeat. I don't know. Yeah, but I feel like it cycles between those sounds because, like, you'll get a song like "Dirty Laundry" and then you'll get like a more hardcore banging track, with, like three tears with tears with "Run the Jewels." Although I didn't really like that "Run the Jewels" track very much, unfortunately. Uh, "Run the Jewels" have always been pretty hit or miss for me. Yeah, it's like their their song is either like an instant classic or terrible. Yeah, and there's really not a big in between. I admire those Probably dudes. Probably a hot take. No, I, I admire those dudes so much because they really, they put a lot into their um, their their trilogy albums, mm-hmm. and they they went hard in the festival scene. Well, their sampling... They were everywhere, dude. Is, like, maybe matched, but not matched very often. Mm, and, yeah. like, the amount of... Uh, they'll go out of their way to keep a sample. They'll pay so much money to be able to use that sound clip. Because mm-hmm. they, like... I don't know. There's a lot of artists that would just easily switch out the sample, and it makes the song worse, but you don't have to pay for royalty or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I respect an artist that's willing to go the extra mile to keep all the original samples as they were originally handpicked. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and not even, like, the, this sounds kind of contrived because it's like... But I I, I, I went to, to, to two festivals the year that, that Run the Jewels 3 album came out, and they were at both of those festivals. And so if they were at both festivals that I was at, and just think about all the other places that they went to, you know? Oh, yeah. I wasn't even there to see that. I, I, I saw them at, at, at the first festival that I went to. For, Did I ever for, tell you I was a block away from seeing Chance the Rapper live before at South by, Coloring right? Book came out? Yeah, I was at South By. This was it? before, I mean, he was popular for sure, especially on SoundCloud and, like, Twitter, and, like, especially in rap circles. He was very well known for his... Um, acid rap project but uh yeah i was like touring uh ut's campus made the better decision came to ou but uh yeah i was like doing a a tour of their campus and 
literally South by Southwest was going on, and not a half block away was Chance the Rapper performing in a bar, I'm pretty sure. That's so sick. And, like, I, like, my parents didn't want me to go, but I was like, this is a free concert, and this guy's definitely going to be famous uh, one day. I want to see him, but I didn't get to. But Well, at least you know you're in that vicinity. Like, you're just, like, walls between each other. Yeah. Walls between. All right, we're going to come back in about five minutes or so, and we're going to talk about some latest developments on the UFO conspiracy that's been going around. Thank you for the soundboard, because I don't know how to work it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we're uh, we're talking about Commander Dave... uh, David Fravor? Is it Fravor? Fravor. Yeah, we're talking about Commander David Fravor and his insight as to what he saw out in the Pacific near the coast of Mexico. So stay tuned, and we're going to get into the details and discuss whether or not there truly is life out there. You're listening to Studio U here. Oh, I messed it up. You're listening to Sounds Welcome here on Studio U. Okay. (laughs) See y'all. And we're back here. What's up? On Sounds Welcome here in Studio U. And we're delving into... The craziest and most out of proportion part of this podcast. We're talking about things that they don't want you to hear. Aliens. We're talking about the things that could get this studio shut down in an instant if we. We're gonna be talking about things that could. Um, you might have. You might want to get your um, things in order. You know. Yeah, you might want to. You never know who's gonna come after us. Wait, your affairs in order? Yeah. That's <laughs> oh what I'm shoot. Say. <laughs> wow, that's that's even more grave. Well, hopefully we uh, don't get stormed by the FBI in 10 minutes or so. But, um, no, we're talking about um, kind of an old article. Like, it would have been, like, more fitting if we did it around, like, the Area 51 scheduled raid and everything. But I think we're mainly talking about it because there's actually some more impactful accounts about this uh, story that happened in 2004. Uh, it kind of broke around 2014 on, like, major news sites like New York Times. And now it's kind of, like, reemerged because of all of the talk about aliens and stuff like that. So that's a bit of the background as to how this story developed. As to what it is, um, Eric, if you want to take it away about that. So, like, basically, I think it was off the west coast of California. Um, There was some reported sightings of things. They didn't really have too much of a description, but just, um, I think they, most of the time, they would, like, be described as bright or like being lit up or whether emitting light or just like energized or something mm-hmm. basically like lights or objects rising from the sur- like from underwater like below the surface of the ocean and shooting uh out of the water and going into like really high altitudes very quickly mm-hmm and you said you said you had a theory that it could be uh, ball lightning. Could you explain maybe? Well, I you know more so about ball lightning. My one of my parents is actually a meteorologist, and there's a very rare occurrence in very statically charged, uh, large supercell um, thunderstorms. And what happens is sometimes the lightning can get so powerful that it starts yanking on like nearby. Um, magnetic fields even it can even yank on like the magnetic field of the earth itself and the charged iron core of our planet well these electric storms can sometimes shoot charged particles into space and they often will i wouldn't say often but like large storms are known to do this they'll just throw these like charged particles into space Mm -hmm. well the theory is that sometimes these particles can be shot uh, horizontal to the earth, not just out into space. And when that happens, they'll stay like close to the ground or they can at least. Um, and these have been reported and they've, we've known that these exist. It's just very hard to see them or capture them, uh, very often, but these exist. And yeah, I mean, I had a theory, I have a theory that like what this guy was seeing was these, uh, balls of lightning, or you could just say magnetic plasma, uh, emitting light and maneuvering in a way that's foreign to any sort of craft we could imagine. Um, They were making turns that 
a normal aircraft would be torn to shreds if they tried to make such a turn. Um, so we really don't know if these are craft or really what they are in general. But these Navy pilots spotted them, chased after them, mm-hmm. and well, they, got them on their radars and captured the video. Yeah. So that's what we're seeing. And they they were previously on this mission more so just for not not it wasn't it wasn't even a mission it was just training protocol they had they basically sent uh, two two teams out they were kind of like doing a, a simulation these uh, these jets were unarmed uh, no missiles no bullets or anything they were simply doing kind of like a dog fighting simulation and they had a couple different boats that were out on the water. And they were basically called over to come examine these anomalies that have been showing up on the radar. Uh, what I believe, what 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 radar was it? Was it the? Uh, well, I mean, there's an acronym for it. Um, I don't know. It's like the the Wemos or something. I don't I don't, I don't want to get it wrong, but um, essentially, it's kind of this like grayscale radar that's very. Um, oh, are you talking about the video itself? Yeah, the I think video. it's called like FLIR radar. Yeah, or yeah. Something? I think that's what it is. It's, like, mounted to the wing, and it has, like, several different cameras in it, and it can, like, trace um, targets or, like, enemy craft. Yeah. Uh, It just basically locks onto them and starts recording. Or, I mean, I guess it's always recording, but, like, locks onto them, and this is what we're seeing. For those of you Call of Duty heads out there, it's kind of like when you get in an AC-130 and you can see everything down below and all of the units. All the heat signatures. Yeah, all the, all the heat signatures. That's that's basically uh, what it looks like, you know. Like Yeah. So if you watch the video, there's they're locked on to this little orb. Well, they're, they're, they're locked onto a jet at first, and then they branch off from the jet to go onto the orb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, they lock onto this orb, and it's just like a bright light. So at first they're using, like, thermal cameras, and you can see it's, like, very hot and bright. And they're, like, tra- they like see it, like, moving... And they're, like, chasing after it. Well, then they switch to, like, uh, black and white, just regular vision camera. And, like, you see the same thing, but it's interesting because you don't see any, like, plume or exhaust. Mm-hmm. And any sort of craft we could feasible or, like, that's feasible that we can think of would be using, like, chemical propulsion. And, like, that would be leaving an ash cloud or at least, like, disturbing the ocean water that it's flying over or... Doing something noticeable that we would know, like, how it's moving. But these seem to, like, defy any sort of physical laws that we know of and move much faster and much more efficiently than anything we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't think it's necessarily a craft. I think it might be some sort of energetic anomaly that's explainable through, um, I don't mean, I don't know what it would be explainable through, but I don't necessarily take it as evidence of... A visitation from a otherworldly creature, but uh, it could be. Yeah, I mean, I think that the explanation that a lot of people probably branch on to if they're going for the explanation that it is a craft is that it's probably even some kind of military personnel technology that even these this this commander. Um, uh, David Fravor just maybe wasn't even like cleared to know what it was. You know? Well, that's a that's a possibility, but if you look at like the precedent of like previous technologies, they have eventually trickled their way down into a consumer market, and so some people are saying like, well, it could be a real craft that humans built, but it's probably not an American design. For one, because I feel like we would have slapped an American sticker on it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but another, like we, either we're keeping a secret or it's not ours, kind of. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it seems it seems a little counterproductive to like. You know, it's like if we, it, it would have to be something that's like such a higher level of information that like even these guys that called attention, and like they had been watching it for days and they had seen it maybe like twelve or so times before they went to go actually investigate it with like the aircraft. And I would say that it's probably something that they genuinely didn't know, or else why would they call attention to it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, why would the military be investing money in researching it if they yeah. had it in, to get, like, from the get-go? It yeah. Seems like a waste of money. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's all really fascinating um, to me. I, I love the idea of thinking 
that there's something else out there. I think well, everyone, there is a lot of stars. Like when you look up, that's a lot of stars. Yeah. I wouldn't ever say that like I think we're alone. But I think if there are other beings, they might look a lot like we do just mm-hmm. because of how efficient our dis- our like our current um state is as like organisms. I think most other planets would have carbon-based life, but that's it's just like that, aliens. Like I can't prove these things. That yeah, that's just like a hunch. That's just yeah, like that's just me going off of our <laughs> laws of physics and assuming that, well, the rest of the universe does abide by that because I mean, well, the, the rest of our universe abides by our laws of physics. But does do other does what's outside of our universe abide by our laws? Well, that's I don't think you could ever know. That's something you could never know. And like if if this craft was like extra universal that would be like like i I think that's beyond i um, think there's a possibility that you could build a craft that like pulls on mm space-time and that's kind of what these people were alluding to is the fact that yeah i didn't design a craft that's not necessarily um moving through space it's more or I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. You could design a craft that doesn't experience drag, yeah. maybe. Yeah, if it was sort of like moving through time, sort of. Yeah, and yeah. like you wouldn't really even accelerate. You'd just kind of, you'd be moving space around you. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that they were able to get a lock on it moving and like maybe even attach like a velocity to that, like proves that there was a drag well yeah it's like it's provably solid you know yeah oh wait you're saying there's a proven drag necessarily yeah because they could like i mean you not 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 well, the thing is like calculate that there drag, was no but. like wake because it was flying like really low to the water mm-hmm. they didn't notice any sort of um i don't know you know what it kind of looked like to me and this this might be like super vague uh even more vague than like the the whole premise of what we're talking about if if you're listening to this and you're really lost just just look it up online uh, it's really not hard to find um just type in uh 2004 uh ufo sighting um there's plenty of articles on it it'll it'll be like the first thing that comes up but to explain like visually what it looked like to me it looked like those floating platforms that you see on bespin in star wars on cloud city I know what you're talking about. That's kind of it. Kind of looked like one of those like fuel stations that that that's like floating mm-hmm. in uh, in Cloud City. Um, yeah, it's kind of pill shaped. Yeah, kind of pill shaped. Yeah, and almost has like a more of like a like I don't like nothing about it looked very like aeronautic. Like the creepy thing about it is like when you watch it move, it almost does look like there's a pilot. Really? Like it's not moving, like. If it was ball lightning, it did, like, it didn't seem to be, like, trying to reach an equilibrium. It was definitely, like, moving erratically, and almost it looked like there was some sort of intelligent pilot. Mm -hmm. It's very strange. It is so strange. It's it's Especially the fact when there's been hundreds of reports of these glowing things shooting out of the ocean it's just so strange like i mean i know we like like we talk about this in the media about like you know like you know video doesn't always prove like you know like video could be doctored it could be anything you know but i mean like this is this is real like video from the military it's like i mean if our if, if our military is lying to us then like we're, we're screwed you know well, so they've done in the past to be frank to be frank yeah but i'm like, talking about like i mean why would they just... There's been false flags. There's... Oh, yeah. I mean, Vietnam War, whatever. But, like, why would... What would even be the point of, like, going and, like, making this public? Well, there could be... There could be a threat. Mm-hmm. As in, like, imagine there's a race of alien that has contacted, like, governments across the world and has told them we need to remain secret, and if you don't, there will be problems. You could imagine a world in which we have made contact... But they're so much more advanced than us that they're forcing us into some sort of, like, subservient uh, 
un like un uh, what would you say like I guess like uneducated about the truth, you know? Yeah. You can imagine a world that's like aliens come and immediately just secretly take over the planet in the course of like three days. Mm-hmm. Super sci-fi. I don't think it's happened. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's happened either. I mean, I wouldn't say it's impossible though. Do you ever do you ever feel like a like a like a pricking at your like chest like kind of like feels like somebody's like kind of like experimenting on you like not necessarily. You think you think if you just like took off this like helmet that you're in right now, you could actually like break out into the room that you're like, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're getting way too. I think too, we call that like enlightenment. Way too matrix, <laughs> way too matrixy in here. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's just that's I, Nirvana, dude. That's Nirvana. <laughs> yeah, truly, uh, it's 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 all fascinating stuff out there. So, how did the podcast conclude? I didn't really finish all of it because this was um, kind of the last minute like talking point that we came up with today. Uh, I mean, they basically just gave a detailed account of like what this pilot saw. They also spent a lot of time of like basically um, reinforcing this guy's perspective and that like he never saw anything before this. He's not crazy. He has a family. He doesn't really believe in aliens. He's just telling basically like the citizens of Earth what he saw, how like possible explanations. But um, this other guy that was with him was like very much a like ufologist or whatever. And he was more fantastical about it and definitely made some like logical leaps. But I don't necessarily like disrespect that guy's opinion. Like he seems very much based in like rational truth and like scientific method he's not making like huge leaps yeah but uh that that's what i liked about the podcast is they they did a great you know sort of like play on the whole like alien trip they brought in like a official or an expert and they brought in kind of like a conspirator yeah it's almost like he's like an alien apologist yeah you know it's like I've never really seen that before. Well, but I, it's I, like, I, I never it's really got cool. to. I never really got to hear him speak because I only heard uh, the naval officer or naval commander uh, speaking. But, but yeah, I think I, I believe this like navy uh, pilot. I believe he saw something. He saw something unidentified. I don't necessarily think it was a craft. I think it might have been something else, not a piloted vehicle. But if you did see a piloted vehicle, this world is a lot stranger than many of us think. Yeah. And I don't really rule is. that out. I think the world could be super strange. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I, I, I really hope, um, like, I'm just, like, this is, this is the one thing I'm, like, super biased on. It's just, like, I, I, I want some kind of, like, crazy phenomena like this yeah. to happen. Like, I want to see, like, you know, the saucer land and, like, the, and then the, the landing bay come down and then like some some like bob dude walk out just being like hey peace what's up you know like yeah <laughs> see i uh so i have a i have a bias i'm just like yeah like i want that to happen that would be pretty cool <laughs> if they don't want to kill us and harvest yeah us. i think it, it, like it's very i think it's very possible if we ever invent a time machine it would basically be a spaceship too so, like, if you can travel through time, you can kind of also travel through space because the Earth is moving through space. So, like, if you could travel through time, you could always go to the place where you're... It, say, like, if you're a time traveler and you get discovered and your gig is up, mm-hmm. you could always travel in time to the spot right before you got caught and not get caught this time. So you could imagine an alien, if they can travel through time... They could always not get caught because they could always know not where to be. It's kind of like if a forest falls or if a tree falls in the forest, do you hear it? Well, it's like if an alien can travel through time, can you see it? Yeah. I don't necessarily think you could. Or they would they would only ever reveal themselves when and they wanted it, to be and then revealed. Kinda, yeah, and then if yeah, and then maybe they'd even have like a technology or something like a, like a men in black sort of thing where it could like erase any sort of like Yeah. Budding. But my point is, like, you wouldn't necessarily even need that. If you can travel through time, you you already have... You just travel back to a point before that person spotted you. Spotted yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
but then that would that would imply that there's some flaws because <laughs> we're obviously seeing something out there, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like maybe this alien got saw or got seen by the uh, Navy pilot and immediately had to like go to the mothership and be reprimanded for like getting seen. Yeah, you he, know? Looked, he, looked, he looked frantic. Like he looked like he messed up. You know. Like, yeah, I think he got a spanking when he got back to home. <laughs> you know. Is that how they punish aliens? I think so. I think I think that's what they said in Slaughterhouse Five. I'm not entirely sure. I think that's canon. It's can Yeah, it's canon. Slaughterhouse Five is like the canon of alien conspiracies for me. Just Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, I love that book. I, I love, haven't read it. It's like. Um, I, I, this will be the last part because we're going to wrap up the show but it's basically like they call the aliens um, or they describe themselves as trial famadorians and like the protagonist in Slaughterhouse-Five like without explaining it in 2D he, he, he just time travels throughout the book randomly he has no he has no choice or rhyme or reason he just kind of does it and it, it's kind of hell for him um, but he, he gets time traveled slash alien spaceship transported kind of like how you're saying over to the alien planet and he's put into a cage like an animal for all the aliens to view him as a specimen Mm -hmm. and when basically he sees these aliens um they 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 see him as um like baby feet and then like an old man on top of the head that's interesting. Yeah, because it's like... So they're seeing like a higher dimensional body. They see time as if it's already happened and it's already ended. So they're just kind of browsing the book, you know? Yeah. The book of time, you know? So when they look at you, they're literally seeing all of you at once. Yes. Yeah, that's like how those aliens would see the world, kind of. Yeah. They would see the beginning of Earth and the end of Earth at the same time. Yeah, and that's why, like... I and that's like one dimension up. So, like, if you could imagine, like, an eight-dimensional alien... Like, it starts to get in a level of, like, non-locality and, like, all-knowing nature to where, like, if aliens like that exist, they probably wouldn't reveal themselves, but we would be constantly revealing ourselves to them constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, That's the only feasible alien I could get. Well, I mean, I guess we could, if there's aliens, I don't think they've arrived here yet. Yeah. Or they're those, like, time-traveling, freaking higher-dimensional ones. The trial Femidorians. Or they're just so far away that they could never reach us. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's only a couple feasible options in my mind. Um, but I don't necessarily think we've been visited yet. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, yeah, um, for those of you out there, uh, uh, read up on the late Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and so it goes for those of you out there. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's a wrap. You know, we talked about a lot of cool stuff, talked about Joker, talked about, um, top 200 albums yeah. of the decade. This is a good one. Talked about Danny Brown, talked, talked about some aliens. So. I'm going to go to Danny's house. Yeah, we're going to Danny's house after this. So, uh, hit us up for the Addy, you know, uh, chilling, vibing. Pretty sure it's in, in Atlanta. So you yeah, might but, need to get those flight tickets. Oh yeah. And you have to get your vibe checked first. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a process. It, it's it's worth it, though. It's totally worth it. But, yeah, thanks for tuning in this week to the Sounds Welcome show here on Studio U. And thank you, Eric, for coming on again. Oh, it's been a great time. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yep. Right. Y'all have a good one. All right. Bye-bye.